The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, yo, yo! Welcome to another edition of Round Ball Ramble. I'm your host Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. This is a hoop ball presentation, so check out hoop ball online hoop-ball.com or on Twitter at hoopballtweets great podcast, great content fantasy stuff, more podcasts rolling out, even more content rolling out during the off season. it really don't stop so definitely make sure to check that out today is Tuesday the 29th of June we are getting into July, isn't it crazy? we are a little bit away from the NBA draft, a little bit away from Summer League and still in the NBA Conference Finals where the Phoenix Suns had a chance to go to the NBA Finals last night and they blew it didn't really blow it as much as the Clippers took it, but we'll get into that. We also got some coaching stuff to get into as well. So, without further ado, let's get to it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Like, say what you want about Los Angeles Clippers, but they are resilient. They get after it. They have all year. Uh, not having Kawhi, who they were already playing without uh, since Game Five of the Jazz series, and they lost Avicii Zubac, who missed his first game of the season last night with an L- MCL sprain in his right knee. So they've already had that. They fought back currently from two straight 2-0 deficits in the playoffs. And now they're trying to crawl back from a 3-1. And they did a great job in Game 5. They really did. Paul George scored 41 points, playoff career high. Reggie Jackson added 23. And the Clippers staved off elimination. They beat the Suns, 116-102 for Game 5. George was just fantastic, just straight torching from the field. Uh, he had 20 points alone in the third quarter. He finished 15 of 20 from the field. Missed five shots overall. Three of six from three-point range. Added 13 boards. That's a double-double and six assists. Marcus Morris was hot for them in the first half. Uh, he had 22 points on nine of 16 shooting. Already mentioned what Reggie Jackson did. The Suns just did not come with the energy. Um, and every time that they started coming up with some momentum, the Clippers just went and took that all away. <laughs> the Suns trailed by as many as 15 points. Uh, they took their first lead in the third. Uh, Chris Paul knocked down one of his signature jumpers about mid-range, 15, 16 feet. That gave the Suns a 62-61 lead. But then the Clippers came back, went on a 10-0 run, and it was just a problem. I mean, George hit a three. George comes back, hit another three. Then Pat Beverly hits another three, and then he's, you know, getting the crowd into it. It was it was a lot. Um, the fourth quarter, the Suns were already kind of in a hole. I even said they got their cutoff for them. They were down 91 to 78. They got to within 98 to 94. Uh, so they obviously made a little bit of a run. But then L.A. went for a 10-0 run, and that was enough to kind of put the difference away for good. Uh, Devin Booker led the Suns with 31 points. Paul, he had 22 points and 8 assists. DeAndre Ayton didn't have a great game for himself. He had a double-double, 10 points, 11 rebounds. But it wasn't the dominance we've seen from him so far this postseason. Um, but yeah, it's all about the Clippers right now. It really is. L.A. Uh, for Game 5 hit 9 of their first 11 shots. They went out to a 25 lead. Um, Morris, like I said, did most of his damage in the first half. It was really the first quarter. He was 6-17 in the first quarter alone. Um, overall, he was 9-16 from the field. So that tells you just a little bit of the damage he was doing there. Uh, and then at the end of the first quarter, it was a 10-point lead. So it was crazy. It was crazy that the Clippers have been able to fight back as much as they have. Of course, never being as far into the postseason as they've been this year, showing that resiliency, showing what they have as a collective, you know, from Ty Lue, who's been down 3-1 before. We remember 2016, don't we all? So it's not something that hasn't been done. But the Clippers went small, and the Suns didn't make them pay. Uh, 
replacing Zubac in the starting lineup was Terrence Mann. Yes, Demarcus Cousins got some minutes. Uh, he had six minutes in the first half, had ten points in that. Uh, he made five and nine shots, so he was definitely uh, getting it up, and he was effective. The Suns had no way of combating that. You definitely had a letdown game from DeAndre Ayton, like I said. Just wasn't as aggressive, wasn't, just wasn't really there. You know, he was there, but, like, not the way we've seen him. And, honestly, your leaders, you're looking at Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, made uncharacteristic terrible errors throughout the course of the game. I mean, Jay Carter threw a pass literally to no one uh, late in the third. Uh, Chris Paul, not only was his pace slightly off, but he was making some weird flops for for, for calls. And we got a flagrant on Pat Bev that honestly, yeah, Pat Bev makes some whack moves. Like, Pat Bev is the one player who's always on the cusp of dirty to me without quite being there. But, like, he's there, if that makes sense. But, like, against Paul. Paul was so busy trying to bait those, I felt that he wasn't playing his game. And that took the Suns collectively out of their game. And so, it didn't do them any favors. And now, you know, game six is what? Tomorrow night, back in LA. So, we'll see what happens then. The Suns really got to get this done, though. If they go to a game seven, I'm not going for Phoenix. I hate to say it, but I'm going with the Clippers on this, because the Clippers have experience coming back and forcing these types of games. And I think that the Clippers' rhythm, the way they have this active defense that has been corralling Paul and corralling Booker, for the most part, has really given them some issues. And I think that the longer this series goes out, you know, the worse the Suns will be because the Clippers are already kind of being galvanized by the effort they're giving so far. You have to hope, if you're a Suns fan, the Clippers ultimately run out of gas. And you have to wonder how long they can keep going playing at this level because at a certain point, you would think this has to catch up, right? I mean, this is several games, giving yourself a hole and having to claw back in with the opposition just getting better and better and better. But you better hope it's quick because uh, Chris Paul, man, he's been he's been ice cold lately. I mean, Devin Booker has been too. We talked about that already. But Chris Paul, uh, when they swept the Nuggets, this is from Anthony Slater on Twitter, he was 34-56 on jumpers. Up through halftime of... The Clippers game, he was 10 of 42 against the Clippers this series on jumpers. So his shot's not there. And if they're not making their shots, this is why I was really glad they weren't having to be matched up in a potential finals duel against the Nets. Because in my mind, I'm like, okay, just shot for shot, firepower. Do the Suns consistently have enough? I I don't know the answer to that. I honestly don't. I think they have enough collective to win. But I'm just saying shootouts, I I don't know. They play with effort. They have good defense. They have you know, electric offense, but it's not like a high-powered, constantly flowing offense in that vein, at least to me. That's just how I look at it, but that's just my own thoughts. I, I'm I'm definitely um, intrigued to see how this works itself out. Phoenix, it will behoove them to win, you know? Otherwise, we're going to have ourselves a heck of a Game 7. Just an absolute heck of a Game 7. We'll see how the Clippers respond. Maybe Kawhi? I highly doubt it, but it might be possible. We'll see. They go back to LA. You have another two days. Well, today and tomorrow, we'll see what happens. So coaching-wise, we've had some news. Uh, Jason Kidd is now the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. Chauncey Billups is now the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers. And we also have Rick Carla as the new coach of the Indiana Pacers since we last did our little coaching update. Um, let's start with Rick Carlisle first. I like the fit. I didn't think he would be going there. First of all, I thought maybe a team like New Orleans or a team with like a star, like if he was waiting for the Bucks to see what would work out with uh, Coach Bud. But so far, you know, Coach Bud seems to be safer the farther that the Bucks go into the playoffs here um, with just two wins away from the NBA Finals. So with that being said, the fact that he went to Indiana, going back home where he did um, coach a couple of years, not, not too bad at all. I actually 
kind of think it's a nice fit in terms of his style of, of coaching with this team. Um, it should be interesting to see how it how it comes together, especially since he's previously been at the helm of this team. Uh, he started off coaching the Pacers in 2004, and he did that through 2007. Um, and you know what's funny? Uh, well, it's not funny. It's just a really good article in terms of talking about how he fits in. Um, Caitlin Cooper wrote a tremendous article on how Rick Carlos' playbook fits the Pacers, and it is in-depth, including you know video breakdowns, thorough descriptions. I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, my friend Mark Schindler uh, from Premium Hoops also, I think, did a podcast. Well, I don't think he did a podcast with Caitlin Cooper um, as well uh, for the Indian Pacers. Definitely check that out. Indy Cornrows, uh, the Indy Cornrows pod, IndyCornrows.com for content from both of them related to the Pacers. But in general, that um, that breakdown was pretty thorough, and I think will give some insight into how he will work on the basketball court. But I think a no-nonsense coach who's something of a tactician and a no-nonsense guy will work well with this team that has had its little bit of drama over the last couple of years. Uh, first with Nate McMillan, then with the second Nate they brought in, so hopefully having a fresh but yet experienced face in Rick Carlisle will do some good for them. Now we go to the more problematic hires. Um, I'm just going to start by saying this. I don't think I am the judge of people. I'm just not. Like, obviously, there's good people, there's bad people. I don't think that. I'm not going to say that Jason Kidd and Chauncey Bills are bad people. I'm going to say they've done horrible things and do they deserve a coaching position. Uh, I tend to lean no. But I don't think that I should even be forced to ask to answer that question. The reason why is because, to me, the coaching hires of both of them is quite simple. You have people who have chugged away years, years, trying to get a foot in the door, trying to get a foot in the door, proven their effort, their work ethic, proven that they belong, just over the years, who are not getting looks while you have retreads or... In the case, in, retreads in the case of Jason Kidd, or even worse, in the case of both Jason Kidd and, to a lesser extent, Chauncey Billups, uh, players or coaches with, with, with baggage. Why would you begin to bring in just for executives who have serious allegations or baggage in general when you have others who have worked twice as hard and have none of that? Like, they shouldn't even be, in my mind, considered just on the merits of that. That's all. I'm not saying who does and doesn't deserve a job or anything of that sort. That's not my that's not my stance in terms of that. I don't think I'm qualified there to say that. Um, especially in this day and age where it's it's crazy. But we're not gonna go too deep into that in terms of qualifications on 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 personalities and people. My my thought process is this you have good people out there who deserve shots at these jobs that are not getting them. In general. I don't think you have to go lean over backwards, just ignore fan reaction, ignore media reaction, ignore player reaction for these people that you bring in that have serious question marks in terms of what they've done in their past or whatever the case may be, where you have men and women who are qualified for this position, who have busted their absolute tails and are not getting noticed. That is something I think should be focused on more. It's not about who is hired, it's about who doesn't get hired. And to me, there are so many people that don't get that look, that the break their necks, basically, to get a spot. You know, I think of Steven Silas last year. All the stuff he had to do to get into the position that he was in. It just doesn't make any sense to me that you have that happen, and yet everything everything works out well for XYZ, who have so much right on the ledger 
I think of Jamal Mosley. Didn't even really get considered. Plugged away in Dallas for years. Didn't even get considered. You bring in Jason Kidd, knowing his extensive background. And not for good. I mean, not only that, at least, I mean, Chauncey doesn't even have any coaching experience in that way. You know, he was assistant for the Clippers, but I'm saying extensive in that way. We've seen Jason Kidd, the coach. We saw him in Brooklyn. We saw him in Milwaukee. We are not impressed. You can't even separate the basketball side of that from the person side of that on him alone. It doesn't work. The math doesn't add up when you have people who have paid their dues and don't have any issues and can't even get a look. The Portland Trailblazers played Becky Hammond like a fiddle in front of everyone. Oh, she made the first wave. Oh, my gosh, she's considered a candidate. And then they went with the person that they were already considering from the very jump. The first two people considered for Portland were two people, Jason Kidd and Chauncey Billups. The backlash from Portland, from media in general, was fierce. And they stepped back, and Jason Kidd saw it. He's like, you know what? No, no, I'm going to pull myself out, whatever the case may be. We know what that was. But then they go and they say, okay, we're going to turn our attention to Becky Hammond. That would have been literally a trailblazing move for the Trailblazers. We're not just talking about uh, having the first woman head coach, but someone who is qualified, someone who has done due diligence, had extensive career in the WNBA, has had extensive career in Summer League, has coached with the Spurs for a number of years now. But no, we're going to take that. We're going to play that. We're going to make you know this, this whole thing about look at what we're doing. Look at our process. Look at how great this is. And then we're going to go back and do the thing that we were already going to do anyway. Like that to me is a sham of a process. And that's the only thing that really annoys me about all of this. Of all of this, I just don't understand it, and uh, I I don't have the words. I, people more qualified, people more eloquent than me have already put their thoughts into this whole situation. I would check that out. Literally just put Chauncey Billups hiring, you know, put Jason Kidd hiring. So many think pieces and conversations and podcasts from people who can put this out a lot more eloquently than myself. Make 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 um make a lot more of a coherent take than myself here. But that's just my two cents in it. And I just don't see why we have this all the time. And it frustrates me knowing that there are so many people out there who plug and plug away and just can't break it. It, it, it never ceases to surprise me. It never ceases to disgust me. It never ceases to anger me. And yet here we are again. And just another example in Dallas and Portland. And I know there's going to be the... I think later on today they're going to have the press conference for Portland. We'll see how Neil O'Shea covers his butt on this one because I don't see it. At least in Dallas, they, I mean, Dallas is just unabashedly saying this is what we're doing. And fans be danged and media be danged because this is what we're going to do. Which I, I'm not saying I respect that. I'm saying that's been their stance on that. Portland did the whole, oh, we're trying to do this. Oh, we're trying to do that. And then they went with what they were already going to go with, knowing how well that would work out with Damian Lillard and the fans and everything else there. So... I really have no more thoughts on that. Just, it's frustrating. All right, so I'll be putting out my first mock draft, the Round Ball Ramble Mock Draft 1.0 uh, tomorrow. And I guess I want to take a moment to kind of walk through my draft process as it's kind of just evolving. Um, usually I come into the draft around draft lottery every year, and that's when I first get my take on, you know, who's out there. I'll cram a lot of videos. Um, Hoop Intellect is amazing. Uh, NBA Draft Junkies, I've watch their shows or his show for for a number of years now um had him on this podcast as you know um you know stone hansen there's so many other guys now ups um um there's um upside podcast um it, it's it's just it's just a lot it's just a lot in terms of great nba draft content that you can turn to uh before you 
really start getting your own measure take of the draft. And that's what I do. I go to a variety of sources before I begin to form my own analysis because I feel like I can have my thoughts, and my thoughts are usually, you know, wide left, wide right, and then these shows, pods, experts really help me to kind of center my approach. And if I still disagree, I still disagree. It's my opinion. But at least it's something I know, okay, I have some backing from XYZ, or there is a sound basis from, you know, ABC, but I disagree here from what my own basketball experience is. Um, so like I said, upside swings is a big one for me. Um, you know, they're not exactly draft ones, although they did just drop a draft-related ex- episode. Uh, Premium Hoops is a good one. Sense of scalability in terms of thought process. And Locked on NBA Draft as well. Uh, my friend Raphael from NBA Draft Junkies does... Uh, does hosting for Locked On NBA Draft as well. So these are kind of where I go to kind of form my opinions. Draft Junkies is another good one. And I take these, I watch these videos, I listen to these podcasts, and then I kind of come up with my draft board, big board, mock draft, all of that. Um, For me, like, my process is kind of simple in terms of this. If you are in the top 10, I think that as a team, you're there for a reason. So I don't think that you're going, you know what, we're not going to go for shooting guard Y because we have that position locked up. If you have that position locked up and, you know, you're that bad, I mean, it's possible. You know, you have some teams that have a shooting guard or or, or position filled that is, you know, a, a great guy. Like, knockdown talent and you just have bad pieces everywhere else think the washington wizards bradley beal a couple of years ago you know that's very much likely but for the most part if you're in that position it's because you're a bad team overall and so in that case i don't think that you should be drafting based off of fit i think you should be taking the next best player available going from number one all the way down to i'd say eight through ten that's my own personal draft philosophy there at that point you're getting a guy that is just talent that you can add to your team, some that you can either build around, some that you can add to your growing collection of talent to grow for the future, whatever the case may be, that is the philosophy that I hold in terms of that 1 through 10 range. Now, 10 through 15, you know, more in that area, that's where I say you can start going and, um, you know, finding specific fits. If you're looking for, you know, a 3 and D wing player, you're looking for a defensive post presence, you're looking for a second side offensive initiator. Like, that's where I would target that position. Um, but then again, if there's a great player that falls in there and you say, hey, I can grab him and he slips down that well, then fine, you do that, you know? Um, that's kind of where I fall in terms of my loose draft uh, methodology. Is that the word I'm looking for? I think it is. Um, but that's just like a primer of what I want to do for my mock draft 1.0 that I'll be dropping tomorrow. We'll just go through the lottery, um, kind of get that squared away, and then I'll drop the next part on uh, what would be Thursday? Yeah, it would be, yeah, it'll be Thursday. <laughs> so part one will drop on um, Wednesday. Part two will drop on Thursday. But just a just a, a pick by pick. I'll try to explain some of my reasoning um, on these picks, just from what I've done research on, and, and get consensus. And then you know maybe bring a guest in to recap. Maybe look at. It. I'm gonna try to refine. I'll try to do at least three um, mock drafts beforehand, and each one will be based off my preliminary, you know, rough draft. This is what I think each player should pick at each position, and going from there based off team needs, uh, where that player fits, uh, etc. So that's what we have to look forward to this week. Um, then I have mock draft 1.0 part one on Wednesday, mock draft 1.0 part two on Thursday, and then we'll probably do like a fun trade Friday news recap, whatever the case may be on Friday. But that is the week 
that we have to look forward to. Am I missing a day? I feel like, nah, today's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. It's crazy, y'all. Mondays. Mondays and Tuesdays, they just throw me in for a loop. By the time I really hit my stride, it's it's time to get ready for the next week, right? <laughs> Anyways, y'all, definitely make sure to check out HoopBall because that's going to do it here for another episode of Round Ball Ramble. Hoop-Ball.com on Twitter at HoopBallTweets. Check me out at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. Just because people go... Corbin, like Corbin Blue, which I heard all the time growing up, or Corbin Dallas, like, Corbin, 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 like, you know, The Fifth Element, like that movie, if you're older, you probably get that, and I'm like, no, it's C-O-R-B-A-N, Corban, like, when I went Spanish, Corbano, whatever the case may be. Anyway, that's my tangent for today. Enjoy the rest of y'all Tuesday. Make it a great Tuesday. I'm gonna stay frosty, so y'all stay frosty, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.